Hello, can you hear me? Yeah, can you hear me? Loud and clear. All right, so now that we got this set up, just going to say this. To everyone that is listening, welcome to Spurging Time. This is the very first broadcast. I am your host, Mad Bear, also known as Yarl Beargriff. And today I have my very first guest, Cody Williams. How are you doing today? I'm all right. How are you? I'm doing all right myself. Now, I understand uh, before I got this podcast set up that you and I kind of talked a little bit and you said you was wanting to talk more about politics. Is that right? Uh, yeah, we can talk about politics. I can talk about books and movies and stuff, too. That's awesome, because this podcast, uh, although it does say improv on the uh, category on Anchor, this is really just a general podcast. We can really talk about anything. It's just it's just raw, unedited conversation. So we can literally talk about anything. That's cool. All right. So um, just a quick question. I, I noticed you did run for office. Um, just to clarify, was it for state house representatives or was it just uh, representatives in general? Uh, okay. I'm sorry. Uh, the U.S. House of Representatives. Oh, nice. And I do understand that you are uh, running again. Is that is that correct? What uh, do you plan on it? I don't know. I don't know yet. Uh, it's still a bit early to make that decision because the next election will be uh, next year. Right. So I haven't. So, um, I haven't. I haven't made that decision quite yet. <clears throat> right. I understand you. Um, so in case you do decide to run again, um, would you mind uh, just telling us what uh, your platform is, what you run for, what's your primary issues, uh, what you seek to change in the U.S. House of Representatives? Sure. Um, I think the number one issue in general is money and politics. And it doesn't really matter mm -hmm. what political party you're in. They're both corrupt. Mm -hmm. And every issue ties back to that. You know, I, I am for Medicare for all. Well, we can't really do that, not even with a democratically controlled house, because they're all bought by the insurance companies. I'm for ending our illegal and offensive wars overseas. Mm -hmm. And we can't really do that right now either, because they're all bought by the military industrial complex. I'm for uh, the legalization, the tax the legalization tax and regulation of drugs. We can't really uh, do that because of big, the big prison system. And it's a, but I think every issue ties back to the uh, money and politics and the corruption of our politicians. That's why uh, when I ran, I sort of ran as a, uh, I ran as a Republican. I ran in the Republican primary. Hmm which was a bit odd. It, it turned some heads because I'm, I'm politically a progressive. And usually if you're a progressive, you're running the Democratic Party or the Green Party. Um, but I ran mostly as a Republican because we live in a red state. And I figured it would be maybe easier to get um, those ideas over. And I also think that one of the mistakes Democratic politicians make nowadays is they focus so much on uh, social justice issues. And I don't I don't want to discount those issues. I think they're very important, but they're not 
relatable to the broader um, political, to, to the broader population. Uh, economic populism is the key. Uh, one of my biggest influences in politics, uh, Kyle Kalinske, he always says, it's the populism, stupid, as to the rise of Bernie and the rise of Trump even, even though he turned out to be a fake populist. Uh, it's the populism. And economic populism affects everybody, not just one demographic. Right, I mean, I agree wholeheartedly. And uh, I'm glad you mentioned uh, Kyle Kalinske because uh, back during the 2016, uh, the primaries for the 2016 election, I did kind of get exposed to a secular talk or Kyle Kalinske's uh, a YouTube channel. And although I disagree with him on a good number of things, at, at the very core, like just like you said, ending all the illegal wars overseas halfway across the world and legalization of like uh, legalization of drugs, like for example, marijuana and stuff like that. I do agree with him on, even though I'm, even though I consider myself a, uh, a right leaning libertarian, like more center right. Yeah. Well, but, uh, and I think that I'm also glad, oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I'm also glad that you, um, mentioned some other things on your platform because a lot of uh, some of those things did remind me of uh, one of the Democrats that I would have gotten behind if she were if she had somehow secured the nomination, Tulsi Gabbard. I don't know why. I just absolutely love her because she wants to end all the illegal wars, and I I believe she did or she does advocate for kind of Medicare for all, which again you said ties back into money and politics as all things do. And, and that's another thing, whether you're a libertarian, whether you're a, a Dem sock or whatever you want to call yourself, I'm pretty sure we can all agree that money and politics does kind of control everything. It's like the whole reason why legalization isn't federally legalized is because of money and politics, like special interest groups, such as like the textile industries, the pharmaceutical industries, the, the prison industries. And for some out there, they may not know it, but yes, it's actually a thing. Right. And uh, that's, that's really the uh, main battle that should be fought is against money and politics, whether it's from uh, just big industries or China or whomever. Yeah. And that's also a winning issue. It goes back to the populism thing. Any, everybody, it doesn't matter where you fall on the political spectrum, everybody recognizes that money and politics is a big issue and probably the number one issue because it affects mm -hmm. pretty much everything. And uh, I love Tulsi Gabbard. I thought she was a great candidate and she was sort of dealt a raw hand. Definitely. In, in 2020. Bernie was too. And I like Andrew Yang. I thought Andrew Yang was dealt. Pretty bad hand. Yeah, at first I was very, I was first was kind of skeptical of Andrew Yang, but the more I listened to him, like on Joe Rogan's podcast, the more I did kind of, you know, start to agree with him, like the whole uh, universal basic income thing. Like the concept at first I didn't really agree with, but his reasoning for it, I did agree with, because let's face it, in a more capitalist kind of economy, you need consumers. China knew this, and um, other countries like Vietnam knew this too. That's why they pretty much adopted a few capitalist policies. Yeah. And if the uh, consumers have more spending power, that's more 
that they can do to stimulate that economy. At least that's my understanding of it. Right. And the thing is, you know, that's like with, uh, really this pandemic thing has sort of put us into a second great depression. It just doesn't mm-hmm. look like it from a market perspective because, uh, Congress bailed out the corporations first and they artificially lifted up the market mm-hmm. because, but really the only way the market can really thrive without just Congress flooding endless supplies of money into it is if you have to put money in the pockets of the consumers. Exactly. And that, that's like a Henry Ford. He paid his workers pretty well for the time. And his reasoning was he wants them to be able to buy a Ford. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that's the way it ought to be. And it, that, that sort of also bleeds into the trickle down economic theory that I think has proven to fail with uh right the whole the whole reaganomics reaganomics yes it and it and they just keep trying it right i mean i i do agree a lot with that um i forgot what i was i forgot where i was going to go with this but yeah in a case in point it's just andrew yang's reasoning for advocating for the thousand dollars a month or what have you is Again, it goes back to consumers having more power to spend and therefore stimulate the economy. Um, speaking about 2020, though, it has been uh, 2020, 2021, like this whole um, coronavirus pandemic period has been rather interesting market wise because we also did see a, a surge at the very least in investing cryptocurrencies. And we had the whole GameStop stock thing, which, uh, if you ask me, was kind of funny. Because it's more or less the the people sticking it to the hedgies. Yeah. And uh, you have all, you also have more people investing in you know materials such as gold, which I kind of plan on doing. I kind of plan on investing in gold and crypto. Uh, I just have to get started on that at some point. Right. <clears throat> and speaking about um, the raw hands that both uh, Bernie and Tulsi Gabbard have been dealt. Um, I do agree that there was a good bit of uh, backstage politics going on in the 2020 election, especially when it came to Tulsi Gabbard, because it's just like, hell, I'm sure you saw this too, the very first debate where Tulsi Gabbard just blew Kamala Harris out of the water to the point where Kamala couldn't even debate the point. Basically, she had to wait until Tulsi had already left. And she went on CNN or or MSNBC, whichever it was, and started the whole oh Tulsi Gabbard's um, Assad apologist, which is a bullshit if you ask me. Oh, and anyone that can put two and two together will tell you that. Yeah. But that's a whole other can of worms. Yeah. Um, Gabbard. They they were a lot more aggressive, aggressively against Tulsi Gabbard than they were against mm-hmm. Bernie. In the sense that um, they were just more forward with their aggression towards Tulsi Gabbard. Uh, exactly. She wasn't polling very well. Everyone pretty much knew Bernie was going to make a run for it. So they couldn't make it blatantly obvious that they were right from the start. But Tulsi wasn't polling very well. And <clears throat> she. Uh, yeah, and same goes with Andrew Yang as well. 
they they also couldn't be as aggressive towards Elizabeth Warren, but I don't really like Elizabeth Warren personally. I never really have liked her, to be completely honest. Uh, I thought at one time she was going to be okay. I thought she was going to be okay when she first announced running, but she she used some very sleazy tactics against Bernie. Oh, she really did. Like the whole um, him saying a woman can't be president thing, which I don't believe that actually ever happened. Nah, I'm, the way I see it, there's like no physical proof of any kind, whether it's video or audio of him saying that. It's just like the whole when the Atlantic was running with the story about Trump calling the fallen veterans the uh, suckers and losers thing. There, there was never any physical evidence to back that up. Therefore, in my view, it's kind of a myth at best. Yeah, yeah. But uh, and when she went. I remember this happened after one debate. I don't remember which debate it was, but she went over to him because he said on the debate stage that he didn't say that. And she went over to him and, and called him out for quote, calling her a liar and MSNBC acted because it, it, the debate was on MSNBC. They acted like they didn't yeah. know that Mike was live. Are you kidding? <laughs> they didn't know that that was planted. Yeah, there's there's no way they they that anyone can say they didn't know that they they knew that they were just trying to you know do some damage control. Yeah, and that that was I, I personally believe that that was that that was a plant. I think that Elizabeth Warren was told to go over there and do that, and Elizabeth Warren fell in line like she does all the mm-hmm. time. Uh, and she she was always the kind of person who. I never really questioned Tulsi Gabbard's convictions. And I never really questioned Bernie's either. I think uh, I think Bernie's biggest problem is he's too damn gullible. Yeah. He, he, he really... He believes that they are acting in good faith when they're just not. Right. I mean, that's, that's kind of... That's part of how I see this whole thing with Bernie. Oh, um, also, I just don't think... I just don't think he was really as ruthless as far as the debate stage went, because there were plenty of times where he could have absolutely grilled uh, Joe Biden or uh, Pete Buttigieg or whomever. There were plenty of times where he could have absolutely grilled him, but he didn't. Yeah, uh, he softened over time. I think that's clear. Mm-hmm. If you go back and you watch old footage of him, he has softened over time. And I don't know. We can We can sit here and debate all day why he softened over time. I don't think anybody knows one way or another. It might be because he he does legitimately like Joe Biden. That might be the reason. Who knows? Yeah, that's that's a whole other uh, that's a whole other can of worms to open up, and that that in itself could take about an hour or two yeah. to discuss. And I don't I don't really want to go into that anyway, because it, it doesn't really <laughs> matter. It doesn't really matter. He was gullible, and he got duped. Yeah. So. And uh, speaking about this, again, this ties back to the whole money and politics thing. Uh, speaking more about uh, Tulsi Gabbard, and um, I'm going to also reference Bernie, like 2016 wise, because um, 2016 primaries, anyone that's anyone that can say that the DNC didn't collude with the media or that the powers that be, whatever you want to call it, 
didn't have a hand in tipping the scales to Hillary's favor. Anyone that, that tries to say that to me, it, I, I would just shut them down really quick because there's plenty of evidence to suggest that, yes, there was a lot of tipping the scales going on. I mean, it's been come out in the years. That's, that's, why, um, that's why the whole WikiLeaks thing happened. The whole thing with Julian Assange yeah. is because the emails that were leaked was evidence that the DNC was colluding with the Clinton campaign and the media to try to screw Sanders as much as possible. And it yeah, well, the e- hate to say it, but the it emails revealed that um, MSNBC was essentially just another arm of the Clinton campaign. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember reading in those emails uh, about how they tried to atheist shame Bernie Sanders in the Midwest. I remember they that. tried to atheist shame this this old Jewish guy, and it I don't know it just because I remember there being a debate question about that, like what's your relationship with God or something, as if that's relevant. I do remember that. Yeah, as if yeah, that's relevant. I mean, yeah, it's just the whole playing to the demographic thing, yeah. and uh, and they they pulled it off. I hate to say it, but they did. Yeah. But uh, yeah, and you also got to look at. Sure, Tulsi Gabbard wasn't the best at polling averages, but there were plenty of polls that did have Tulsi Gabbard at least 5% and above. But because the DNC and really the DNC and both Republican conventions, they both do this because uh, what happened to Sanders in 2016 was pretty much exactly what happened to Ron Paul back in 2012. And if I was 18 at that election, I would have voted for Ron Paul, but I was 17, so I just barely missed it. But back to Tulsi Gabbard... Out of all, also, I did like Ron Paul, but again, he's more libertarian yeah. in it uh, anyway. He really kind of catapulted the uh, libertarian way of thinking into more of the mainstream. It's not it's it's not really as mainstream as it should be, in my opinion, because you know you still got all these boomer Republicans and Dixiecrats uh, that still have a lot of power, especially in Congress. Yeah. But Ron Paul was really, he really did catapult the libertarian way of thinking into a more broad demographic. And really, Ron Paul was kind of uh, the reason I became a libertarian in the first place, because er- to me, everything he said on the campaign trail made absolute perfect sense. Yeah. Just like a lot of what Tulsi Gabbard and, uh, and some of what Bernie said back then, even today, made sense about ending the wars. Um, decriminalizing or legalizing marijuana and, you know, abolishing private prisons and, you know, all that mumbo jumbo. Yeah. Well, I, the thing, the thing with Bernie is he, uh, you know, if he isn't even able, and this is just my opinion, if he isn't even able to call out Joe Biden for bombing Syria, then he probably wouldn't have been a very effective president anyway. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. So, I don't know. It's sort of heartbreaking, really. Cause I put, I personally was a big Bernie guy. Got Bernie stickers all over my car, which I need to take off at some point. I'm just too lazy. <laughs> yeah, I, got, I can relate. <laughs> um, and that, that was just sort of demoralizing. In, in in a way that loss because that was such an organized um that that was just so organized how they went after him because 
mm-hmm. there, there were reports that Barack Obama called Amy Klobuchar and Mayor Pete and sort of influenced them to drop out right before Super Tuesday. And uh, they did drop out, I think, the Sunday before. Sunday and Monday, they dropped out. Yeah. Yeah, it was like right before Super And Elizabeth Tuesday. Warren stayed in, which for some reason took some of Bernie's progressive voters. Yep. It, it siphoned um, a lot, a, a good bit of Bernie's Yeah, votes. I don't understand it, but that's the reason. And it was just part of the plan, if you ask yeah, me. Yeah, it was just, it was so organized. And, mm-hmm. um, I'm still personally pissed at Obama for that. I was never really a big Obama fan anyway. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, when I uh, first heard of the whole Obama thing back at the 2008 election, I was only like 13, and I was just kind of getting into politics, kind of going down the whole rabbit hole of uh, uh, corruption and how you know government and stuff really works. Um, and because I was raised a Democrat, I did root for him back then. But, you know, knowing what I know now, that's 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 kind of kind of a bad thing because. But then again, you also uh, had you didn't really have much of an option either way. You had Obama, which, you know, at the time, you didn't know really what to expect. He ran on the whole hope and change gimmick. And you also had, you know, John McCain, which, in my opinion, was just it would have just been another four, eight years of Bush, which we didn't need that. He was everyone that was alive back then should know how horrible that administration was. I I think if I had been able to vote in 2008 with all my knowledge now, I, uh, without, you know, what happened during the Obama administration, I mean, if I still had my same political beliefs and I was uh, naive after the eight years of Bush, I probably would have voted for Obama in 2008. But after I saw how that first term went, I probably wouldn't have. I would have voted uh, Green Party, most likely. Yeah, if I if I was at that point, knowing what I know now, I probably would have either wrote in Ron Paul or I would have uh, voted some kind of third yeah. party. Probably Which I get, a lot of, I get a lot of flack for voting Green Party because I voted Green Party in 2016 and I voted for Howie Hawkins in 2020. So... You know, I get criticized for that. But it, yeah, I've gotten my favorite share of flack for voting for Johnson back yeah. then. Oh, well, we got a storm brewing. Yeah. <laughs> it was starting to thunder when I walked outside earlier. Right. Yeah, it was kind of, um, it's been brewing since last night because I went to the gym around uh, around midnight and it was raining somewhat hard, but. Yeah, I guess now we're getting the we're getting the eye of it. I guess. Let's sort of off and on. And uh, also, uh, yeah. But just some other uh, things uh, that have kind of that are kind of fresh now. Uh, now that you mentioned the whole bombing Syria thing, which you know Obama did, Trump continued that, and now Biden's doing the same. Don't do you think it would be unreasonable to state that that uh, bombing Syria thing was kind of a mea culpa for uh, speaking out against uh, the princess the prince Saudi Arabia MBS? Mm. 
Maybe. Because I, because I noticed, because uh, I noticed Kyle Kalinske said something along those lines, and you know, putting two and two together because Obama and Trump were also buddy buddy with Saudi Arabia during all those things, drone striking Yemen, Qatar, and all these other like nations that aren't really a threat to anybody. Yeah. Uh, it to me, it doesn't seem that unreasonable to think that the whole drone strike and I believe it was Yemen or Syria. I can't remember which. It happened so often. Yeah. Um, to me, it's not really that unreasonable to say that it was kind of a mea culpa. Oh, sure. Yeah, it probably was. They, uh, I don't, I don't really understand uh, the United States' willingness to be all buddy buddy with Saudi Arabia. Um. I don't. They should. They're a country that should not be our allies. And that doesn't necessarily mean we should go bomb them. But because right. uh, I'm pretty, I'm non-interventionist, and I, I have, Likewise. I have this buddy who comes in, uh, where I work. He comes in and hangs out for a little bit, and we get into it, uh, because he's a big Democrat, and I always say the the that our Department of Defense should be used exclusively defensively. Exactly. Uh, and he it's just sort of rolls his eyes and laughs and it pisses me off. He's an older guy and he's, he's the kind of people or he's the kind of person who's just like, uh, oh, you're young. You don't know what you're talking about. Oh, yeah. I've, I've gotten that quite a bit too, even though I'm, even though 30 is kind of creeping up on both of us. But yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, I've also, usually I used to get that kind of flack more from Republicans back then, but now I get it from a mix of Republicans and uh, Democrats nowadays about, about the whole drone strikes, non-interventionism, because I've, I've, I've had a few uh, friends, and I'm not going to mention any names for their sake, um, speaking about the whole war in Iraq and Afghanistan, I've spoken up against that. I've been very critical of that for a good number of years, probably say since I was 13, starting to get into this thing. Um, and the main argument that I would get is, oh, if we didn't go over there, that region would be, um, what's the phrase I'm looking for? It would be, I, it would be unstable. That's what I'm thinking. It would be more unstable. On my, and I'm sitting here, I would always counter with, well, it was kind of, unstable to begin with in all honesty if anything our interventions there have made it more unstable just like our intervention with libya back in 2012 or 13 whenever that was i I slept since then Uh, absolutely and um the thing is people they they cannot define victory anymore and that's how you know it's all sort of based on bullshit because because when we mm-hmm. first went into Iraq and Afghanistan uh they're like oh well we got to get uh we got to get Osama uh bin Laden got to get bin Laden you know cuz he didn't want to live okay well then uh with the Iraq thing it was we got to get uh Saddam Hussein cuz he has weapons of mass destruction well that turned out to be a lie that. that turned out to be a lie and then they moved the goalpost and they're like well he's just a bad guy we got to get him because he's a bad guy well 
there are a lot of bad right. guys in the world. It doesn't mean you have to overthrow the government. Um, mm-hmm. And but they keep moving the goalposts because both Saddam Hussein and Osama bin Laden have been dead for a really long time. Yeah, I remember. I remember Saddam Hussein had, had been executed. I believe it was 2007. And of course, there was that whole raid in Pakistan that got Bin Laden in 2011. So at that point, you kind of have to just sit there and question why are we still yeah. there? And, you know, getting rid of uh, Saddam Hussein, he what that did was that created a power vacuum, which allowed the rise of ISIS to happen. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, at, yeah, Saddam Hussein, he was not a good guy, but he was a secularist. And he sort of kept the right. religious fundamentalists uh, at bay. But then we got rid of him and it allowed them to rise to power. And so we were in a worse situation. It kind of like what we're trying to do or what may end up happening sooner than we think in Syria against uh, Bashir al-Assad. Yeah. Or because really, they're they're trying to make the whole argument that he's another Saddam Hussein, and you got uh, they didn't outright say it, but it's one of those things where if you if you know how to read between the lines, if you put two and two together, they're trying to do the exact same thing. It's like the whole um, chemical attacks in Doma, which again WikiLeaks has kind of shown through leaking studies from I believe it was Oxford and MIT, the toxicology reports from those sites. Or something I, I can't I don't know the exact details so I'm gonna misquote something but basically they had evidence that showed that there were some studies that happened over there and they managed to find out that the so-called chemical weapons attacks were not deployed by the Syrian government rather by um, fundamentalist rebels that are being backed by either the CIA or the Pentagon hell uh, going back to Kyle Kalinsky, I remember when he uh, reported that I believe it was over in Syria, there were two rebel factions fighting each other and killing each other. One was backed by the CIA, one was backed by the Pentagon. So that should tell you a good bit of information right, right yeah. there. It's a lot of it's artificial, and and uh, e- even this this ties back to uh, money and politics because they want. Mm-hmm. Endless war because endless war makes profits to Boeing. Exactly. To Boeing and uh, all these defense contractors, it makes a big profit, all this endless war. And so a lo- I-, I have no doubt that a lot of it is artificial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't doubt it myself either. Basically, and you know it's a it's a really deep rooted issue, the whole money and politics thing, the military industrial complex. When going back as far as John F. Kennedy, Kennedy spoke out against this. Now he may not have been the best president ever if he hadn't been assassinated, but I believe he could have been a better president than what we have now by yeah. a long shot. Because. Uh, because uh, I also think, and this is more of a, con- uh, I guess you could say this is more of a conspiracy theory type of uh, level, even though I wholeheartedly believe this, and I will until I'm absolutely proven wrong. But he did issue an executive order, it was 11110, which was going to uh, transfer the ownership of our currency from the Federal Reserve back to the Treasury. 
because if you uh, read into the 16th Amendment that was signed in 1913 by Woodrow Wilson, basically since then, um, that amendment is the whole reason why the Federal Reserve exists today and, and why the IRS exists today because it transferred the ownership of our money to the Federal Reserve, which is nothing more than a private bank, a private central bank, as opposed to the Treasury. And, of course, the powers that be did not like that Kennedy was trying to get that into action. And next thing you know, 1963, he went to Dallas and came back in a box. Yeah, Uh, I think there might be something to that. I also... Uh, and this is another conspiracy theory, but I also don't think that uh, the Vietnam War would have happened if he wasn't assassinated because LBJ was the one who escalated that entire situation. Yeah. Um, really, we we had no business being in Vietnam, and, but uh, I'm going to let you continue. I also, I think that it ought to be looked into that uh, possibly the government had something to do with uh, MLK and um, with, with his assassination because the FBI did send him a letter trying to prompt him to kill himself. Yeah, I, I, I remember hearing about that. Uh, I never really looked into it, but that wouldn't no. surprise me at all. Well, the, the thing with the thing that's so interesting about MLK and I'm sort of the MLK Day Grinch. I hate that. I hate that holiday <laughs> every year. And and if mm-hmm. and it's not what people think it is. Like people say, "Oh, you hate MLK Day because you you don't like black people." No, it has nothing to do with that. I hate MLK Day because the people celebrating it don't have a clue what that man was about and what he died for. Like, I mean, yes, mm-hmm. he was a great uh, proponent of uh, race equality. Yes, he was a great civil rights leader. That's true. But by, the, by 1968, race relations were sort of on the way to changing, and he had fallen out of uh, relevancy. Mm-hmm. And he was starting to plan... Uh, a poor people's march. He shifted from racial issues to economic injustice. And that frankly pissed off a lot of the media that pissed off uh, the administration at the time, because, you know, in, in the eyes of the administration, they're like, well, we gave him everything he wanted. Why won't he stop? And it, it wasn't until that it wasn't until he switched to caring about economic injustice when he sort of fell out of the good graces uh, in the eyes of the media and John public. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't doubt, you know, if the U.S. government had something to do with that. I mean, even even Martin Luther King Jr.'s son has stated that he doesn't believe James Earl Ray did it. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like, you know, anyone who's skeptical of the holy Harvey Oswald thing. I mean, it's I, I believe it's really, you know, it's not that unreasonable to assume that the government did have something to do with it. 
because I mean, why wouldn't they? That's the well, simple question you have to ask: is well, they, why wouldn't they do they that? They and the media have a long history of lying, and it's not new. It, oh yeah, it didn't just start with the Iraq War because they lied about that and they did it willingly. And if you were if you were against the war, mm-hmm. you got shit canned, like Phil Donahue mm-hmm. and uh, and Ed Schultz, yep. which. Ed Schultz was fired because he wanted to cover Bernie Sanders' campaign. But still, if you go if you go against what the media's narrative is, what they want their narrative to be, you get fired. And I think that's enough to tell you that there's something not right about it. There's something off there. It's just like again with Tulsi Gabbard, how she's against all these wars and everything, and now they're saying, uh, well, they they maybe aren't saying it now, but they were heavily at that point saying that she's an Assad apologist, that she's a Russian asset, and I'm sitting here thinking, okay, why in the hell would wanting to be out of illegal wars, why is bringing our troops home a Russian talking point? That yeah. makes no it, sense. It, it, they they love straw men. They love it. They love to straw man people. Like, um, if, if you don't like Kamala Harris, you're sexist and racist. Well, I like Nina Turner. She's a black woman. I'd vote for her in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to vote for Kamala Harris. So am I yep. sexist and racist? Does that make sense? And it's it it's because these these um, the media and these corporations they will always concede over stupid bullshit that doesn't matter, culture war bullshit before they actually address the real problems. Mm-hmm. And that's been proven with the stupid potato head controversy and Pepe Le Pew and Doctor Seuss. Oh yeah. I mean, I don't. I personally don't have a strong opinion one way or the other about it, but it's a distraction away from uh, from Biden bombing Syria, from blatantly not doing the $15 minimum wage. It, it's a distraction from all these horrible decisions Congress and the current administration are making. And frankly, stupid people fall into the trap. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's this whole culture war thing and, and all these trivial all these trivial bullshit is really just a distraction from what's really going on. And speaking about the $15 minimum wage thing, this isn't me saying I told you so to the progressives or anything, but I'm sitting here thinking you can't tell me that, that you wholeheartedly believe that Biden was going to give the whole $15 minimum wage thing. Now, you could say he might be pushed a little to the left because of people like Sanders had that actually happened or had there been more progressives or um, more, I guess, justice Democrats, whatever you want to call them uh, in the house and maybe the Senate, then you could make the argument that there may have been a chance to push him a little further left. But, you know, when you got people like Pelosi or Chuck Schumer or, you know, all, all these other guys in there, no one, no one can seriously tell me that they, wholeheartedly believe that Joe Biden was going to 100% uh, fight oh, for no. the $15 and, and hell, wage. I, I don't even think the Justice Democrats are going to fight for the $15 minimum wage because they have just shown that they're unwilling to fight for anything. Uh, like back in exactly. uh, back in January, before, uh, before Nancy Pelosi was re-elected Speaker of the House, they, there was this whole online thing started by Jimmy Dore and I like Jimmy Dore, um, force the vote, mm-hmm. hashtag force the vote. 
and it was basically a plea to the Justice Democrats. They only needed six votes. It was a plea to the Justice Democrats to withhold their votes for Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, in order to force a vote on Medicare for all. And then you had idiots like Jank Uger, you know, criticizing it. And <laughs> the thing is, Jank Uger, I used to like him, but he has been so damn insufferable since after the 2016 primary. Um, he, because oh, yeah. he, he criticized Jimmy really harshly, did like character assassination towards Jimmy Dore. And it doesn't really. Oh, yeah. And it doesn't matter nah, whether you like Jimmy Dore or not. I thought it was a good idea, and it was it was an idea. Good or not, wh- whether you w- want to believe that that was a good idea, good or not, it was something. What the hell was what the hell was Jank Uger's idea? He didn't have anything. Status quo. Yeah, but he, but he can't. He can't. The status quo because he's a faux progressive. And um. Then, fast forward to the $15 minimum wage debate, to put it, because the only way that's going to pass is through bucket recon, uh, budget reconciliation. That's the only way that's going to be able to pass, right. because through budget reconciliation, you only need 51 votes, and you, can, you only have three chances to do that a year. Uh, right. And they just lost one of them, because it wasn't in that COVID relief package. But... Um, then Jank Uger came out for force the vote. It was pretty much the same situation, except they, there was even more leverage this time because this was a must pass bill. And he came out with the for, with the whole force the vote thing, but he wouldn't call it force the vote. In fact, he did a, it was hilarious. He did a, uh, a live stream on Facebook and he almost called it called it forced the vote, but he caught himself because of how heavily he criticized Jimmy Dore. And Jimmy Dore had a right. field day with it uh, because what was it, like 89% <laughs> or 90%, 9 out of 10 of TYT's viewers on their app thought forced the vote was a good idea. Yeah, so it's like guys like uh, Jank and Anna Kasparian uh, kind of got yeah. ratioed to hell yeah. with that. <laughs> And then they still wouldn't do it, and they ask all they do is, you know, ask for more money, which I I understand why some people don't like Jimmy Dore, like I get it, but three weeks before Jank Uger came out against force the vote, he was all for it, said it was a great idea. Then in those three weeks, he and Jimmy had a falling out, and he came out against it because he made it all about Jimmy. It wasn't about Jimmy. It never was about Jimmy. Jimmy Dore himself mm-hmm. even said that he'd just let if, if if what it took to get Jank on board was to just let Jank call it his movement, he'd let him because it wasn't about Jimmy Dore. It was about forcing the politicians to do what sixty percent of this country wants in Medicare for all. Exactly, but you know as. As we've seen, as it became evident, uh, I guess Jenks' uh, position on that was more just, you know, vote for the status quo or keep the status quo to own the conservatives or something like that, which again ties well, into the whole I think it was all for show because 
because at first he was four. Exactly. But then they did that town hall and it started to really gain traction. Justin Jackson of the uh, Los Angeles Chargers got in on it. And they were calling out AOC and stuff about it. And it started right. to gain some momentum and then he came out against it. Which proves that, you know, he's full of crap. He He's not a progressive. Or if he is a progressive, he's a, he's not a very effective one. He's like the, uh, I guess, the liberal liberal equivalent of a rhino, kind of a, a pino, if right. you will, progressive yeah. in name only. Yeah, and he, he loves it. He loves it when these conservatives are in power because he that's when he does most of his fundraising because he can, he can be the firebrand then because it's the Republican in power. But when Democrats are in power, he's like, shh, shh, shh. Don't criticize them. We we'll get it when we can win, but and and it's it's whole it's like yeah well if not now when kind of thing because later right. never comes. Exactly, I mean I've I've learned that the hard way. Later never comes, or tomorrow never comes. Basically, if you if you want something right. done, you got to do it right then and there. But you know. Can't tell Jenk Uger or anyone else the, like that, that. And the Justice Democrats, they've, they've, uh, I thought it was funny because AOC criticized Jimmy Dore of violence because he called her out on Twitter. He tweeted at her and she called that violence and then she called out, um, I think she called out Trump over something, but it was after Trump was out of office. She called him out over something. And Jimmy sort of was like, oh, my God, AOC, don't get violent now. Which was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, that kind of reminded me of uh, of when, you know, Ben Shapiro tried to debate AOC. Now, say what you want about Ben Shapiro. I can see why people don't like him. I mean, I agree with some of what he says, not absolutely everything. There's a good number of things I disagree with him on. And he does kind of come off of as a uh, smug asshole. But again, say what you want about Ben. It's just like when he tried to debate AOC and was even willing to donate, I think it was $10,000 to a charity of her choice. But what did AOC do? She refused and ended up saying that he was catcalling her. Yeah. I was like, what in the hell is that? Kasparian, she attacked Jimmy Dore for going on Tucker Carlson show. Jimmy, Jimmy goes on that show all the time and he does it because he knows Trump uh, watches Tucker Carlson. And he, he wanted mm-hmm. to get his message to the then president. And she called him out and she said, we shouldn't even entertain the people who watch Fox News. But the, th- the thing is, not every Republican you see is too far gone. They're not all TFGs. Right. There are some, absolutely. Like, the there were just pictures of Trump that had been release his first pictures post-presidency and he looks like shit he looks terrible and i'm sure there are some people out there like man he's such a handsome man okay (laughs) they're they're tfg okay but um yeah there are a lot of people who watch fox news who aren't tfgs that's like uh there are even some fairly apolitical people who watch that who watch that show and they like it because Tucker Carlson is sort of a fake populist. Um, 
And I, that's like a, when Kyle Kalinske went on Joe Rogan, um, there were a lot of people in the comments who were like, man, I thought he was a crazy lefty, but he seems really reasonable. And it's because Kyle Kalinske, he's principled. And that's, the, and that's what I want to try to do as a, as a political commentator and a maybe politician again. I want to be principled, and I don't want to move my positions based on what my party is doing. If my party is doing something wrong, I'll call them out on it. If the other party is doing something right, I'll say, good job. Because I don't care about party loyalty. Like a lot of people, mm-hmm. a lot of people in the media do. Uh, but I think average Joes even realize they might call themselves Republican or Democrat, but I think average Joes, they sort of realize that neither party is really working for them. And that's- right. It's like it's, it's like they it's like whether you're on the left or the right. I mean, it. this is one of those things that dawned on me a while ago. It's like whether you're a liberal or conservative, libertarian, um, uh, Green Party, whatever, it's like if you think about it, we all kind of want the same thing or the way we differ is how we go about it. Like for example, you know, Medicare for all. Um, personally, I wish every American had access to good health care. I personally don't think that government supplying it is the way to go, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah. And that's a whole other subject. Well, the, the thing, the thing is, and here's how Bernie Sanders should have answered the questions during the, during the debate. Um, when asked about health care, um, because I think I think the mistake a lot of Democrats make, uh, progressives make, is they try to take the moral high ground on that, and really that sort of comes off as insufferable a lot of the time. And I think the best way to explain mm-hmm. it is, you know, well, how are you going to when they ask how are you going to pay for it? Well. I could be petty and say, well, how are we going to pay for the drone strikes we just did? Nobody asked that question. Nobody asked that question. <laughs> exactly. But, yeah. It's easy to spend um, other people's money. The best way to answer that question is to say, um, well, we're going to cancel your private taxes that are disguised as premiums to large health care large price gouging healthcare companies, we're going to cancel your private taxes and raise mm-hmm. your public taxes, which will net save you money. Mm-hmm. I think that's the best way to answer that question. Uh, but Bernie never really did that. I'm not sure Bernie knew to do that. Uh, I, I don't really know who his strategists were, but and I, right. think, I think that that's the approach a lot of uh, progressives in Congress and the Senate should should take. They should try to explain it in very matter-of-fact ways instead of getting up on the soapbox and trying to take the moral high ground because really that just sort of seems uh, I don't know, that puts a bad taste in people's mouth, like, mouths, I guess. Yeah, no one likes someone that right. just gets on there and gets on a high horse and just spouts whatever. Now, but if the, but they'll they're willing to listen to someone that actually makes you know clear, concise arguments, you know whether they're for or yeah. against a certain thing. It's just like you said, 
people get on their on their soapbox and get to try to take the moral high ground, which doesn't work with everyone, especially when you got people that are more like nihilist or sociopathic or, you know, people that just don't give a shit. But yeah, no, no one really likes someone that gets on a soapbox and tries to take the moral high ground and people would just rather listen to reason rather than, Oh, if you're not for this, then you're right. Insert well, uh, ism here. It's, it's viewed through a black and white lens. Politics has always been viewed through a black and white lens. You know, there, you have good people and you have bad people. Yeah. Well, I say that, while human beings, I'd say most human beings are generally, quote, good people. And I want even the uh, even the biggest MAGA son of a bitch out there to have access to, to uh, good health care that is free at the point of service. Because because I just think that that's mm-hmm. what everybody deserves. And that, that's like I don't really. Um, understand when Texas had that terrible snowstorm a month or so ago. Um, I saw some idiot Democrats online, like sort of laughing about it. Like, this is what you get. No, we need to go help those people. I don't care if you disagree with them politically or not. And they're like, Oh, now they want our funding. They deserve to have the funding. They just had a natural disaster sort of. Right. Imagine, Imagine if Hurricane Katrina happened now, and because Louisiana is a red state, you have all these people saying, "Oh, they they deserve that because they they stay in in the in the damn Delta or whatever, or they're staying in the Gulf where you know the water rises and everything." And the same shit they're saying about the whole Texas power grid not doing its job or you know failing the people, they they say that yeah, about Katrina. They say that about whatever. Basically, it's 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 not it's not even night and yeah, day. And It'd it's be not, the same shit. They weren't prepared to. for that. Uh, granted, but they they still deserve our funding. And it not everybody. And like, if you want to make it partisan, which I don't agree with, but if you want to make it partisan, not every person in Texas voted for Trump. Hell, towards the beginning of the election, it looked exactly. like Biden might win Texas. And, um, you know, there were Biden voters in Texas. Uh, what's his name? The guy that ran against Ted Cruz. Beto. Beto's from Texas. Uh, I like Beto. Beto, but people voted for him. I don't like Beto because of the whole, hell yeah, we're coming for your AR-15s and your AKs because, you know, I'm a very pro-gun guy. I've made that extremely clear on my Facebook. From the very beginning, there was something about him that rubbed me the wrong way. And I remember remember there was this hilarious magazine article of a quote from him that said, man, I was just born to get in it. What does that mean? What the hell does that mean? Like, in what? <laughs> Going to get in what? Like, you going to tell me what you're for? So that's that's a reason I don't like him. I don't want The Rock to run for president either. I know there are a lot of people pushing for that. I mean, yeah, I, well, I would just is, for the memes, I, I, but that's I really wouldn't have a problem it. voting for The Rock if I knew what he stood for, but I don't. And you don't either. Nobody knows what The Rock stands for because he doesn't talk about it. Nah. I don't really think... 
I don't really even think he's going to run, to be honest with you. And if he does, maybe he might make his platform more clear then. But, you know, I don't. I think that's more or less in the well, back of his mind know. or if is it's it, in his it, mind at all, which personally, if he if he didn't, if he doesn't run, I personally don't blame him because speaking about the whole Trump looking like shit thing is just like when um, like 2015 – how you could see a, a new picture, a uh, new at that point picture of Obama, how he got gray as hell. And I'm just sitting like, oh, well, yeah. being president probably does that to yeah. you. And Trump, Trump's not the healthiest guy in the world. So, yeah, he, oh, he no. looked pretty rough. But, yeah. Yeah, politics I mean, does that to you. Hell, look at Bernie. He's, he's so crooked. The way his posture's terrible. Shoulders are slumped. But Bernie doesn't give a shit about how he looks. Trump Trump has always been kind of right. vain in that way. Mm, yeah. You you could tell in his body language yeah. much less how he speaks. But yeah, you also uh, did say you wanted to talk about uh, books and other subjects. I understand you uh, have been writing a few uh, things. Uh, would sure. you care to so talk about those? I just finished a uh, a novella. It's a fairly long novella. It's almost a novel. And it will probably be released in a standalone edition um, instead of a collection because of its length. But um the novella is called Bunny Boy, and um, it's an odd little story. Uh, it follows a man named uh, David Peterson, uh, who had just buried his seven-year-old son after a tragic accident. And I don't, I don't know mm. if you you probably do remember this. Uh, I don't remember what grade we were in at the time. Maybe. Maybe eighth grade, maybe freshman in high school or something. Uh, there was it, it was when the McDonald's down here was doing a grand reopening. Yeah. And that, oh yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. I want to say it might have been the eighth or freshman year. Yeah. It's either eighth grade or freshman right. year, one of them. Uh, two. I, I've slept. But I remember um, a little boy ran out and got hit by a dump truck. And the I, I never forgot the first page on the newspaper, and it was of the mother, which was probably distasteful. Um, but that that photographer had impeccable timing. It was just the mother screaming in agony, mm-hmm. and that always stuck with me. And I wanted to write about it, but I didn't know at the time what it. Uh, what it was going to be about. I just knew that, that it had something to do with that. And to me, stories are kind of, they're not really created things. They're found things. And I think the best, the best metaphor I've heard to describe it is, mm-hmm. um, it's like, you know, discovering a fossil and you brush away a little, you brush away a little dust or sand at a time. Yeah. And if you can get the whole thing out in one piece, you win. That's kind of what it's like to me. Um, 
And so I just sort of let the image sit there in my head, whatever dark corner that came from. And um, Mm -hmm. over, over time, I had another image that at the time was unrelated. And I just sort of imagined looking out out of a window across this uh, like country farmland and seeing a man in a rabbit suit, like a dirty rabbit suit matted with, with its fur matted mm. with dirt and stuff. And that was a disturbing image. And I didn't, I, I had gone through a really bad time after, um, after the 2020 election, you know, I was, I was very depressed uh, throughout the entire year of 2020, I was very depressed. I think everybody was. Um, and I, I couldn't finish projects. I, I would I would start a writing project, and I'd yeah I'd get a decent amount into it, but I'd get stuck and not know how to finish it. So I couldn't finish anything, and I I had lost my confidence as a writer because it it had been. By that point, four years, three years. It had been three years since the last book came out. Um, and so I sat down and I start and I thought about that that scene with that newspaper headline, and I just started writing it down. Taking place, all the names are made up. It's all fiction. Uh, but starting at the funeral of right. that little boy. And some, somewhere along the way, the image with the guy in the bunny suit, which actually isn't in the story per se, uh, I married the two together. And what came out of it was a 40,000 word novella. It's like 115 pages in length. And it, it's my favorite thing I've written. Uh, but anyway, it, it follows this uh, this guy, David Peterson, right after he had buried his son, and he's sort of just left there alone. He doesn't really have a lot of friends. Uh, his wife, or his, his estranged lover, the estranged mother of the child, was kind of watching him when the whole thing went down. And so he partially blames her, and she's, she's like, hooked on, on meth and stuff, and... And he remember uh, he's like going through right. internal dialogue in his head, and he's like, "This is probably the last time I'll ever see her, and that's okay with me." Like just sort of cold stuff, which I don't agree with. Um, but he's sort yeah. of just left alone at the gravesite, you know, just sort of thinking. And he's approached by this elderly man um, who seems to take a, an odd interest in his situation and as as story goes on it sort of revealed why um and it's basically about david getting caught up in the madness of that old man as he plunges deeper and deeper into his own insanity and um i think it's a horror story but i like to call it more of a tragedy it deals with themes of religion and grief and the different ways, the very different polar opposite ways you can uh, deal with that, with that emotion. 
So. Yeah, that sounds very interesting. I, I really got to check that out. Um, uh, no, have you be released out next it year. yet? Has it been published or? Uh, well, yeah, when that drops, I'm definitely checking it out because that sounds like something that I would actually kind of enjoy. Yeah. I'd kind of be yeah. sunk into. It's sort of like a. Um, was. There's some notes of Pet Cemetery there. Uh, there are some notes of. Um, the Great God Pan by Arthur Mackin. Uh, there are some notes of uh, the monkey's paw, and it's a it's a pretty dark and nasty piece of work. It kind of it, it's my favorite thing I've done. It kind of gave me my confidence back in terms of uh, writing, and I got two other projects going now, but they're still in the very early stages. Oh yeah, like I I know all about that stuff because hell, because um, I used to be I was in a couple of bands and I used to write music. I used to I I wrote both music and lyrics, but I haven't really written a full song of lyrics since uh, twenty sixteen. And you know when when my best friend and her goddaughter when they passed away, uh, that really did take a toll on me. And since then, I've never could finish writing whether it was lyrics or a song or anything. But, you know, here lately, it's like I've had, for example, this podcast, I, I had it thought up last year, uh, but I never could get around to doing it until right. recently. So I, I know all about, you know, the whole writer's block and, and you know, things happening in your personal life that affects that and puts it on hold, yeah. uh, so to speak. Well, but yeah, I, I still got to check out uh, I'll let that you know. story when I'll it publishes. Um, but the, the thing about writer's block is I, I had always been very critical of it. Uh, and I was wrong to, I was wrong to be very critical of it because I just sort of chalked it up to laziness at the time. I didn't understand it. Um, because it hasn't, it hadn't happened to mm. me yet. And I don't know. It It's almost sort of. almost sort of mystical in a sense uh the creative life it i i think that you know sometimes stories are ready to be written and sometimes they're not and if they're not you're not going to finish it um that that's like you know back back in exactly. eighth grade ninth grade i was not ready to write bunny boy at all I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready last year. I just happened. It was something I just happened to stumble upon uh, in recent years. And I, I had gone through a lot of doubts of, of whether or not I was ever going to write anything else. Because I just, I got wrapped up into politics and that can take a lot of your time. If I had always oh, you know, yeah, sort of been definitely. interested in politics. Um, but that, that sort of especially the campaign that sort of took up a lot of my time. And that, that entire thing was emotionally draining. And I felt, and I felt bad. Because, oh, I, I bet it um, was. I think one of my biggest flaws as a writer, because it's not a good thing. I think one of my biggest flaws as a writer is I hate 
the marketing side of it. I hate it. I feel like I'm both people. You know, oh, yeah. I, like, hey, buy my book. I feel like I'm just getting on people's nerves, you know. And that that is a challenge in right. writing. And it's even more of a challenge in politics, in a sense, because I felt I felt like, uh, you know, I was always. You know, just sort of bugging people, asking them to donate to this little campaign that I was running. And I even went to um, I went back to where I went to college, Carson Newman and met with uh, one of my old professors. She was my favorite professor from college, and she wrote me a check. And I never cashed it. I never cashed that check just because I felt guilty. I just felt so damn guilty taking Uh, money from people like that. And, you know... Right. I have that same problem. uh, That's why, you know, I kind of spoke with a friend from college about, you know, Bunny Boy and the marketing strategy behind that. And he's going to help me do that to sort of take that burden off me. Because it's, I don't know, I I just feel like I'm bothering people and I don't like to bug them. Yeah, I mean, I kind of have that same thing because, yeah, I do, I do kind of have a bit of social anxiety. So that really does tie into it as well. Um, but yeah, I'm the same way. I don't like, I don't like taking money from people. That's why I hardly ever ask for stuff like that is because it, it's a, it's a whole personal code of honor kind of thing for me, at least about, you know, I don't, I don't like, I don't like taking handouts because I see it as a handout, even though it's probably just, you know, someone helping me out, but you know, it's still, those things conflict a lot more than I know how hard it is to, to, uh, you know, earn your money, you know, do your job. I, I know, I know how much money means and to the, just the idea of somebody mm-hmm. spending that on me and my bullshit kind of makes me feel bad, you know? Um, but yeah. on a, on a different note, you know, it's a great story. So when it comes out, anybody out there listening should totally buy it. Uh, but just, just, uh, that's probably all I'm going to do in terms of marketing about that because it just makes me uncomfortable. Right. I mean, the whole the whole marketing thing can take a toll because you know there's so there's so much to it, and really it's it, it's nothing that I would ever consider myself an expert in. That's why I don't really dabble in that too much. Uh, the way I market myself, kind of like how I've been doing my whole wrestling career yeah. thing, is I just I have my page, I share it. I share my promos uh, and all that good stuff. And if people see right. it and they like it and they share it, they can. It's just like here lately, I've been getting a good amount of reach, but that's kind of the approach I've been taking. So I just, I just share yeah, it. And, and, that, and I mean, that's sort of there. like, um, I'm the same way in that sense with, you know, I just want to, I don't, I don't want to spend my time marketing. You know, there, there's a type of writer who loves marketing, but really in like nine times out of 10, that writer that loves to market what they really wanted to do was be a marketer. So they write that one book and then they spend the rest of their life marketing that book. And then they don't write another book. I write the book. I put it up online and, and, you know, tout about it a little bit. And then I go off and write the other book. I don't, I don't want to spend all my time marketing and I, it, it, I just don't like it. It makes me uncomfortable. And, 
Yeah, it's yeah just, and, it's, and there's it's just too much work if you ask me. Art is like vital in it, and I'm not I'm not a visual artist. I can't I can't draw. I can't do Photoshop. I I can't do even the most basic of things, and uh, that's why I have to hire people to do it. I I just got done talking to a, a cover artist who's going to design the cover for Bunny Boy today. I'm hoping to see a mock-up soon. I bet you, I bet you get a pretty good, um, pretty good concept art for that cover. Yeah. I mean, Cause you know, there's several I of, ways I, I can go. I sent them a message and sort of explained what I wanted and what the story was kind of about. I gave them, I gave a more in-depth synopsis than what I said on here because I, you know, Zoe has told me that I tend to, uh, right. I tend to get caught up in my own story and then it ends up not making much sense unless you read it. And I don't want to confuse anybody. So I'm just trying to keep it right. as simplistic as possible. Right. That's, that's kind of my approach to a lot of things is, you know, yeah. just, you know, Bunny, keep it Bunny Boy is a complicated uh, story with a lot of the, a lot, there are a lot of moving parts in it. There is a pretty big supernatural element in it, but I'm not going to say what it is. Um, and you know what? Right. right. And another another way. Don't want to give way too that, much. <laughs> another thing that really influenced that story is um, BoJack Horseman. I, I love that show. It is probably my right. favorite show. And there is one in particular episode uh, that just, it blew me away and it heavily influenced Bunny Boy. And that, that episode is called The View from Halfway Down, which is the second to last. I don't know if you've seen BoJack Horseman huh. or not. I've never watched it, to be honest with you, but, you know, I've had people say, oh, you should definitely give it a try, but, you know, I'm behind on so many shows. Like, I'm behind on Vikings. There's some anime that I haven't, that I've not been caught up on. There was The Walking oh, Dead, yeah. but I've pretty I, much I, given up on that. Uh, but, yeah, there, I I, I'm behind on so many I finished things. Game of Thrones. Funny. Yeah, I did finish that. I, my dad and I actually kind of binge watched that uh the the entirety of last year or actually no not last year it was a uh, 2019 or yeah. up to whenever it, it actually finished like it was one of those things i didn't think he was going to like it at first but then <laughs> turns out both of us got hooked on it i thought that show and was really it, good it snowballed in my opinion there. they sort of botched the ending Yeah, you can tell from season seven, like either early on or the middle of it, that they kind of rushed it because there was really enough content in the book series to go for like 12 seasons at minimum. And uh, George R.R. Martin even said that. But for some reason, uh, the directors or whomever they will, whomever they are, um, just decided, OK, we're not doing that. Like, we're just they were in a rush. And, uh, and, you know, Game of Thrones. Yeah, Game of Thrones ended up ending yeah. on a botch note when it could have ended yeah. a lot well, better. Well, and you know, especially season seven because in the earlier seasons, it would take it would take a character an entire season to 
show up at their point of destination. Uh, where if they were like traveling or something, it'd take them the whole season just right. to get there. And it took what Jon Snow one episode in season seven to end up at a, a Dragonstone Castle. Is that what it was called? Oh yeah, that was um, yeah, yeah. I, I can't remember what it's episode. called, but I know what you're talking about. So, and uh, the the only show recently, other than BoJack Horseman, that I actually finished, uh, which I mean it's not over yet. There, the the third season hasn't come out yet. Is the Orville? I I love the Orville. It used to come on Fox. Mm. Now it's going to be on Hulu. It's uh, it's sort of like. The Office meets Star Trek. Yeah, my dad's been watching the hell out of that. Um, I I've seen like maybe one or two episodes. It didn't really interest me like that. But yeah, my dad's been binge watching that, or he did whenever it was. Um, I guess yeah. before it took the hiatus yeah. to go on Hulu. Well, it, it that's a it, that's an example of a show that got better as it went on because. The, those first few episodes, they're yeah. uh, they're like um, they they have stupid Family Guy humor in it because it's Seth MacFarlane. So, it's, so it's stupid Family Guy humor. <laughs> yeah, but as the show goes on, it gets a lot more serious. Kind of like BoJack Horseman. BoJack Horseman was the same way. In season one, it was stupid uh, Family Guy humor. Had a lot of cutaway gags and stuff. Uh, and by by the end of the show, it ended with season six. I think it was the most. It is the best show about mental illness I've ever seen. It just portrays it so damn well. Uh, way better than 13 Reasons Why. Oh, yeah, because I, I remember when 13 Reasons Why was out and that whole shit show that happened from that, like the whole online yeah. backlash that that series got. And it, it, it did kind of remind me of Ricky Gervais's uh, joke about that in the, uh, the golden globes, which, you know, I don't know anyone that hasn't seen his monologue at the golden right. Globes that year, but it was, it was hilarious. But I, I, I have heard that uh, Bojack Horseman, did portray like depression and all that stuff in a very great way. I've heard that from a good number of people, but I just ain't, I just ain't watched it. But yeah, I guess when I right. when I catch up on some other well, things, I might give it a, a shot. No. <clears throat> so, uh, I got, I have some questions for you. I'm not sure you. I'm not sure you're comfortable with answering okay. them. They're about uh, your wrestling thing. Oh, I'll, I'll be happy to answer those. I mean, what I had not in mind as far as talking about wrestling on here is I'm going to you know answer some questions, but I'm not going to totally expose the business because there is a whole thing behind. There's a whole uh, rabbit hole when it comes to you know the backstage part of it. But yeah, I'll answer. I'll try to well, answer whatever my questions, questions you have dealt as far as more of like the business side of it because I've always been intrigued with like uh, the business side. But okay, uh, 
I'll ask you this then. Uh, right. What do you think has a better product right now, WWE or AEW? Um, AEW by far, though, if you really want my uh, complete opinion, oh, I think really? New Japan Pro Wrestling has the best product. Yeah, you got guys like Kazuchika Okada, Tetsuya Naito there. A lot of good work. Um, I don't know if you ever watched AJ Styles and uh, Shinsuke Nakamura's match there. I believe it was Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, it was one of the Wrestle Kingdoms. I can't remember which one it was. But that was one of the best matches I've ever watched was AJ and Shinsuke Nakamura. Really? Is it on and YouTube? it makes their WrestleMania match look like nothing. Uh, yeah, I think there's a, a clip where there's like a, a video on it that shows the highlights of it. You might be able to find the full match. If you if you are able to find the full match, I'd recommend watching it because you know AJ is one of the, one of if not uh, he, he's definitely one of the best wrestlers of today. And of course, Shinsuke yeah. Nakamura, he's he's really um, good himself. So, do you listen to any uh, wrestling podcasts? Like, uh, I I listen to clips, not the whole thing, but I listen to clips every now and then of uh, Jim Cornette. I love Jim Cornette. Oh yeah, I love Jim Cornette. Uh, I also, I also do listen to Jericho's podcast here and there, but I mostly listen to Cornette. I also watch um, the Hannibal TV on YouTube. Uh, basically, it's this guy named Hannibal that runs uh, Great North Wrestling up in Canada. Uh, he's had he's had AJ Styles uh, wrestling up there. I think they wrestled for the IWGP title. He's had guys like Psycho Sid, um, Al Snow who I've started listening to a lot more of as far as like the actual business, well, like maybe not the actual business marketing side of it, but like the whole ring psychology and, you know, in-ring work. Um, I mean, I don't suppose that your previous question would totally like expose the business. Well, I guess it doesn't really matter nowadays because social media is a thing and kayfabe. It's not like, it's not like the Smoky Mountain days, or the territory days. So, yeah, if, if you want to ask that previous oh, okay. question, you well, can, and I'll um, answer it to the best of my ability. So, so you work with the indie circuit, right? Yeah, yeah I work with and, a uh, couple they, they of indie all, shows they here all in have East Tennessee. Bookers. Oh, yeah. They, they pretty much – they all pretty much have different bookers. Um there might be some promotions like uh, one of them I work for, New Pro Wrestling South. Them and APW might do some things together here and there because uh, one of the guy, the guy that runs, uh, or I guess maybe not runs it, but one of the key guys in New Pro Wrestling South is someone I worked with in APW oh, yeah. back, in, okay. back in 2019. Like, uh, I'll ask you this. Um, the, the creativity when it comes into crafting those matches – uh, how does that work? Is it, uh, I, I guess I'm kind of asking, you know, how's the communication there with, uh, the, the guy you're working with? If I can ask. Right. Um, as far as like working in the ring, that really depends on who you're working with. It depends on how they work. Um, cause I like to, I, I try to work like the old Memphis way. Basically, or maybe not, maybe not exactly the old Memphis way like Jerry Lawler, but basically what I like to do is I, I might call a couple spots like the Heat, where basically 
the the baby face is looking like they're going to come back on the on the heel, but the heel cuts them off. And you know, I might uh, might work out the heat, the shine, and the finish. That's really about it as far as spots. I don't really like to call the spots that much. Everything else, I just like we just make up as we go along. We walk and talk, which is how a lot of the old school guys worked back then. And you know, a lot of, there are some that still work that way today. You just don't see it as much in WWE right. from what I've from what I've noticed of it. Everything looks so choreographed nowadays where, you know, it's like guys like and, and this isn't taken away from guys like Seth Rollins or uh, anyone else. I mean I don't mind watching, you know, matches that are that are like that, that have like a bunch of flips, that have like some, you know, that have more choreographed spots. I don't mind watching that because there are plenty of good matches with two people that work that same style, but there's just so many wrestlers in WWE that work that same style that the whole card gets oversaturated with it. And I know I'm probably, you know, spurging out about this, which is kind of the point, but, uh, but to, you know, the short answer is uh, it really depends on who is working, who and how they work. You got, you got some people that are veterans of the business that have wrestled 10, 20, however many years. And you got, you also got guys like me that have only been working about two years at this point. Okay. So it really depends Um, on who's in the ring. Did you ever, did you ever play any, uh, wrestling video games? Uh, yeah, I was actually, I actually have a PlayStation two hook. I've been playing uh, the first SmackDown versus raw game lately. I think the most underrated. It's one, one of my favorites. That was a good one. I mean, it's one of yeah. the first ones that I, I, I played. I just like how you it's, can it's, kind it's of just explore underrated. the entire arena. And uh, I was, and I like the draft aspect yeah. too. I like how you know because the season starts with the draft. Yeah, because really at that point when the game came out, it was like 2002. That's when the whole brand yeah. split thing started. And I, here comes uh, the I pain. I remember that like it was yesterday. Movie. Everyone says that or WWF No Mercy would be the, the best ones. Personally, I'm kind of biased towards Here Comes the Pain because I grew up with that generation of gaming as far as the WWF games, but I played No Mercy and it's pretty good too, but I'd have to give that to Here Comes the Pain simply because, you know, the, the gameplay is very fast paced. It's a lot, a very smooth gameplay, even for, you know, PS2 standards. Hell, it, it still holds up today. If you ask me, it, it plays yeah. a lot better than, than uh, 2K liked, games. Uh, that's for sure. I liked Here Comes the Pain. I like the story, the season mode in that. Uh, and I think it's that game. Yeah, uh, I would always play Triple H. Triple H was always my favorite, and I I would always go after the big gold belt. I, I I like that design. That's probably my favorite designed. Oh yeah. I'd say I'd say that's my favorite uh, wrestling belt. It, it's uh, I think if I had to make a top three, it'd be the the big gold the ECW World Championship, like the one Rob Van Dam got after uh, One Night Stand 2006. Uh, and probably the uh, probably the, the WWF Championship, the yeah. Attitude Era belt. Not I, the Wing Eagle. I, I think today's WWE that. belts are kind of ugly. They're so, they're so uniform. 
they yeah i mean basically like the wwe championship the universal championship and the women's belts they're really just recolors of the same design which makes me really miss like the ruthless aggression or attitude era when yeah. you had different belts I always and different liked the designs old women's and you knew what they the, were just looking the one at before them. the divas championship Yeah, yeah that, that's and my I like favorite the, uh, women's belt, too. The Cruiserweight title. I don't like the new Cruiserweight title. Like the one that... I would like the Cruiserweight title if it was on is a black strap. I don't know. I don't know still. if it is. Or, I think it is now. But I... Well, I haven't watched well, in a while. I shows how, I, I I don't, I've not even watched WWE way. in a good minute. Yeah. Basically, when you're when you're like me, when you've worked in the business for a while, you kind of stop watching the TV stuff as much. Mainly, if I do watch WWE, it's it's going to be some from like our era, like Ruthless Aggression or Attitude, or even you know some like old matches, like for example, uh, Randy Savage and Ricky Steamboat yeah. from WrestleMania Three. So, do you which have is a, another classic? Uh, do you have an opinion on um, Every- the? Uh- what do you call it? The the cinema style, the theatrical style matches that they did at like WrestleMania last year with the Undertaker. Yeah, I mean, I do have an opinion on it. It's like I don't dislike the matches at all. I think some of them are actually pretty good. Like the the great the Boneyard match between Taker and AJ Styles. There was also the uh, the ultimate deletion between uh, Matt Hardy and Bray Wyatt. That was a great one. I don't care what anyone says. I will watch that over and over again because it was just great. Um, and speaking about Matt Hardy, I guess you could say WWE kind of got those from uh, Impact Wrestling when Matt when Matt and Jeff were still with them because you had there you had that deletion match between Matt and Jeff, and that I guess that kind of snowballed this whole thing. You also had uh, Matt and Hurricane Helms against the uh, the Young Bucks when they did that whole match. And one thing that I will always laugh at is the uh, jab they took at Triple H. Because yeah. yeah. you've seen the memes about Triple H burying people and everything. Um, it was like uh, Matt and Hurricane were like, they, they just finished like physically uh, putting dirt back in a hole. And... You had Matt Hardy saying, even the man with three H's would be proud of how he buried this young and prosperous talent. And it was just, it it was a a quick jab, but it was still hilarious. But overall, I do kind of like the cinematic matches. I think they're not my favorite, uh, but I do like them. I think the best designed uh, gimmick right now is um, The Fiend. yeah, I I love the fiend. I, I love the fiend gimmick. I just hate WWE the way WWE. Never, WWE has never really been it. good. It makes me think Vince Russo um, still there at booking the creepier, the the creepier side of the gimmicks. You know, like they they've never been that great at that. Like they botched the boogeyman. Yeah. Um, They botched the Ministry of Darkness, yeah, which was and they my favorite up, stable uh, of that of the Attitude Era. I don't know. They, they've never been good at the uh, sci-fi horror gimmicks. I, my favorite thing about the Fiend is that mask, because that mask was designed by um, 
uh, Tom Savini, who did, uh, yeah, he that mask was, was designed by him. That. And I, I'm a huge Tom Savini fan. You know, I love Creep Show, and um, you know, I'm a, I've always been a big Stephen King fan as well. Um, yeah. See that bit of information I actually did not know, but I did like I do like uh, the fiend's mask because yeah. it's just really it's really well made. Yeah, I think it looks pretty cool. And it really pissed me off again about the whole booking thing, about how they fed him to Goldberg, and it's just like I, I never will understand from a creative aspect why you would have someone like Goldberg who can't even do his own moves now. And you you would think that match with him and The Undertaker in Saudi Arabia would tell you, hey, that's not a good idea because even Undertaker was pissed off of the, that match, reasonably so because he got dropped on the was head the, when uh, Goldberg tried to do the jackass. Was that the crown jewel pay-per-view? But – yeah, that was. Well, I don't know if it was Crown Jewel or those shows. Yeah, by it, it, large been, been it was one bad. of the Saudi Arabia shows. Uh, but... <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, that's 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 kind of universally accepted. Though I will say, I will say the whole Titus O'Neil thing where he yeah. slipped under the ring. The, the thing that, that pissed me off the, thing the, the most that. about those Saudi Arabia matches, uh, well, one match in particular, the one Shawn Michaels came out of retirement for. Like, that was terrible. Like, I, I, I've oh, always God, liked Shawn yeah. Michaels. That's... I understand that he was infamously hard to work with. I understand that. Oh, yeah. He, he really was. Jim Cornette could write a book or actually could write a whole series on why Shawn Michaels was hard to work with then. But, well, yeah, Triple I agree. H I hated that match. That match pretty dude, early I on. couldn't even finish it. That was my main reason watching and then he did terribly in that match yep. yeah yeah and yeah, he tore you know his I, I, I muscle, so, I it was, uh, sort of hard to believe i always watch uh i'll always dip back in when triple h shows up because again he's my favorite and old habit, old habits die hard you know and so i'll always yeah. right See, I've, I've liked Triple H myself. Yeah, he's and not I'll, one of my favorites. So I do, I do for the most part like Triple H. He shows up, and it it was sort of hard for me to believe he did not wrestle one match in 2020, and he's not he's not going to do one this year. I think I don't think he'll be at Mania oh, this year. And his match with Batista nah, was sort will. of I don't think he will either. Mediocre. Well, Especially the build-up to that. But yeah, there was hardly it, any build. It, it was what match. it was. Yeah, there really was little build-up to him and Batista's match. Which, you know, even if there was build-up, I mean, it's it's a Triple H-Batista match. So it's it's not going to be – Dave Meltzer's not going to rave it five stars, yeah. which, you know, Dave Meltzer, that's a whole other can of worms. Because, um, you know, there, there are plenty of times – because you know, every, everyone seems to well, not everyone, but a lot of a lot of fans and or marks, as we say, like take um, they they take Dave Meltzer's word for a lot of stuff as far as like how good a match is. When because 
and, and whenever someone does, you know, bring that up, I would always point them to um, my favorite match of all time, which was uh, yeah. uh, The Rock versus Hollywood Hogan at WrestleMania 18. Dave Meltzer gave that a three stars, and I, to this day, I still can't understand why. People, I, I get, you know, backlash from people saying, oh, well, the in-ring work wasn't that yeah. good. I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, why? Because it doesn't have 100 flips. Look at them. It's The Rock and Hulk, and Hulk Hogan. They don't need to do a bunch of flips. They can do the absolute bare minimum, and it showed. Yeah. They did the absolute yeah. bare minimum, and the crowd ate it up. That's how, that's how you know who a good worker is. They can drag yeah, out a match, a lot of very uh, little, and the crowd. That match eats was it very up. atmospheric. Um, you know, just there was like a tension there, and when that match was over, you could tell that something, uh, something special happened. You know, yeah, and they tried to replicate that with the rock. It was a passing of the torch. Yeah, the, I mean, the, they they couldn't catch. The only way they could have caught lightning in a bottle like that is if it was the Rock and CM Punk, which should have happened. Or maybe if it was a rather, if it was a, if they had had the Rock drop the title to CM Punk before the Mania thing, yeah. where Punk and Cena would have went at that at WrestleMania. Yeah. Do you think Punk that will ever come back? Special. If he does, it won't be to WWE. I've heard people say, oh, he's going to go to AEW. Like they, him and AJ Lee both kind of turned down AEW. I think if Punk does come back, it's definitely going to be a part-time thing because I don't, I don't really see him coming back to full capacity because he's made his money. He's done – he's proven that he can uh, grab the so-called brass rings and everything he hell he even sold more merch than john cena at one point so that tells you everything you need to know um he he's he's pretty much proven that there's nothing else for him to prove so if he does come back it'll be part-time and i think it'll either be to a ring of honor impact or possibly new japan but i just don't think well, he'll come I, back I sort of think that all. and i don't blame him if you don't with punk i don't i don't like the way his feud with triple h was booked and I'm a Triple H fan. And I'm a Triple H fan. Triple H should have put him over at Night of Champions. Nah, nobody liked that. And then and then they should have won the tag team match at Vengeance against yeah. Punk and, and Truth. Or not, not Punk and Truth, uh, the Miz and Truth. Right. Yeah, I've listened to uh... – a lot of CM Punk uh, shoot interviews lately, especially about you know how he was working with Ryback and how and how Ryback really botched the gorilla press onto a table where Punk act, where he actually missed how the table broke is beyond me. But that whole botch and, I, and I've seen that happen. It was it was it was it's a shame that you know Punk didn't get permanently messed up from that. But yeah, I I I still don't think. If and, Punk does come back to wrestling, it's not going to be full time. And I personally don't blame him because, you know, he, aside from you know proving that there's nothing else to prove, he's had his he's had his good matches. 
from you know his debut in ECW against Justin Gabriel, uh, just incredible. I don't know why I said Gabriel, but against uh, just incredible up until you know his his feud with Jeff Hardy, which was great, and there just be there just be nothing else for him to do, except maybe you know right. win a title and put over someone else. Now, if we would have gotten uh, CM Punk and Daniel Bryan, that would have been a that would have been a good match right there. That could have been yeah. you know, uh, now a WrestleMania match uh, right there. Do you think that a lot of WWE's problems right now are because of Vince McMahon? A lot of them. Yeah, they kind of are. But at the same time, a lot of the issues that WWE has now are kind of more deeply rooted and have gone back to after after the whole Chris Benoit thing happened. Because, you know, back then, uh, before that whole thing, uh, Raw was more was more like TV 14. Uh, SmackDown was technically PG, but it's it's not it, it's not like it is now. Especially when you had Paul Heyman running running SmackDown, which was which was awesome because at that point at that point yeah, I like, I like SmackDown Paul. was just completely beating Raw in the ratings, and for good reason. But a lot of the problems that WWE has now are more deeply rooted than just you know some of the booking decisions that they've made recently. And you also got to realize that uh, Vince's wife, uh, Linda McMahon. You know, she had she ran for Senate once, and and so well, yeah, twice actually. Thank you for that. Uh, and ever since her first run, they really had to uh, saturate the product because at that point they could have been like, "Oh well, her husband runs this type of show. What's that going to mean for yeah. this?" Which is kind of bullshit, but it is what it is. But a lot of a lot of the problems that WWE has are just that deeply rooted, and I'm possibly not sure go back even will further run again. than that. Um, I I don't know if she will either. Well, I, I did really you pay uh, attention to to Linda's campaigns? Were, do you ever did you catch any of the uh, XFL stuff? The relaunch with the XFL. Yes, I was I was uh, closely following that, and I was um, of course I was a New York Guardians fan, um, and I really right. wish I like the uh, that like they the could have at least Hawks. finished a season. And I think, yeah, they're a good yeah. team. And I think but they, they, uh, were, they were doing really good during that relaunch. I think they were doing a lot of things right that they got wrong with the first one. Because part of the problem with the first XFL was they treated it like another brand of the WWE. Because, uh, you know, the first ever game, The Rock introduced the yeah. game. And they had Jesse Ventura, uh, which I like Jesse Ventura. He might run for president in 2020, uh, 2024. Uh, yeah, I'll vote for him, too, if he runs. I think he's going to do a Green Party, though. I'd vote for him. Uh yeah, but he was an announcer. I think even yeah, I like uh, Jesse Ventura. 
Jerry King Lawler announced some games. And it just it was just, you know. Yeah. Or like the uh It was too gimmicky is what it was. Uh, the whole they encouraged their players to date the cheerleaders to sort of start stuff. And yeah, I, I that was what was yeah. wrong with the original XFL. And I think they did I think they corrected a lot of that with the relaunch. Um, and I, I, I just sort of wonder why Vince mm-hmm. sold it. I think it was because, you know, it, it was, it was because of the whole pandemic thing, you know, at because at that point you couldn't predict where, who, what was going to go where uh, I do believe that he, that the rock owns it now. And once that's able to be relaunched, there could be a possibility of um, him transferring the ownership back. But who, but who really knows at this point? Um, that's been on Facebook the last week ah, or so. See, I didn't know that. I, I've never even heard that. Well, what I heard was they're postponing the 2022 season because they were going to go back and you know relaunch it in 2022. Uh, and I think they're going to postpone it and see if they can combine with the Canadian Football League. But the Canadian Football League fans want them to adopt their rules. So that's a that's a very controversial, touchy right. subject with XFL fans. Because a lot of people, I saw a lot of complaints that the CFL was too much like the I, the old Arena Football League. I, I don't think that that's really true, but I liked Arena Football. I right. liked it a lot. Uh, it was just it was different, you know. It was. It wasn't the status quo, you know. Right. I, I mean, I like- it, it spices things up. Right. Speaking of arena football, uh, I don't know if you've no. heard of it, but I've been watching it lately. Uh, have you heard of the uh, Fan Control Football League? Well, it's it's a rel- it's a kind of a newer thing. Uh, they mainly broadcast on Twitch, but I get the uh, highlight the highlight fit, uh, footage from Highlight Heaven on YouTube. <clears throat> But basically, uh, the whole thing about it is like the the uh, fans of whichever team they pick the plays and stuff like that. And so far, it's actually looked pretty good. Um, so if you like arena football, you might check that out. I mean, oh. you go on Highlight Heaven; they got all the ga- the highlights from all the games so far. Um, and you you got guys that were that were in college that didn't make it to the NFL. You have you might have some like. Uh, AAF guys, which, you know, yeah, speaking about the, the AAF, did, that right? was another league I was interested in. And I was all, yeah, like basically that was the one where it, it, it really just launched right after Super Bowl 50, uh, 53, I believe. And um, there was really no marketing, there was no build up, like there was no nothing. But even then, you know, there was still some pretty good football. They they changed a few things around. Like, there were no kickoffs. Like, well, they weren't, like, any extra points. Like, anytime you scored a touchdown, you go for a two-point conversion, which is what the FCS does, Fan Control Football League does now. And um, I was also thinking, it. 
I would absolutely love it if like the AAF teams could merge. Like if the if the XFL could get those teams and kind of have them as expansion teams, right? Because that's more uh, content in the long run. Yeah, me too. I, the gameplay was pretty good. XFL to relaunch a lot better than than the old XFL. Um, yeah, because. Oh yeah, yeah, that league had a lot of problems. It's it's like we said. Yeah. It was just um, there was too many gimmicks as far as the first uh, launch of the XFL. Uh, if you ask me as to why the XFL uh, came to an end abruptly, was because I th- I think they were at the right yeah. they're at the right place, but they were just at the wrong time because of this whole pandemic thing. If right. that wasn't a thing, then we right. could have been, we could be in the middle of another season right now. Well, um, do you think that they'll take on the franchising model? Uh, it's it's always a possibility. I'm, I'm gonna yeah. pull a Joe Rogan and be like, it's entirely possible. <laughs> so, uh, what other uh, uh, subjects did you have in mind to talk about today? Uh, or I don't know. We can talk about pretty much anything. I got my favorite author. <laughs> We talk about my favorite authors, but I feel like that's boring. Yeah, I mean, the sky's the limit. Yeah, I mean, it's. I kind of plan this whole uh, this podcast to reach a broad demographic. That way, everyone has everyone has a reason to listen to it. So, if you want to go into favorite authors, the only, my only thing okay. is well, I may we not talk about have music. as much to contribute in that subject, but I'll still talk about it. Oh yeah, we could definitely talk about that. Um, I don't know if you heard of this uh, band. It's like they do like uh, folkish music, but they have like but it's combined yeah, with uh, the metal. They're yeah, from Mongolia. Yeah. It's called the Who. Uh, well, I don't know if you heard of them, but they're band. pretty good. And don't make don't make fun of me because I know that a lot of people hate this band. Well, yeah, I like Bon Jovi too, but they're not my favorite. Bon Jovi. Uh, they're my second favorite, I guess. Bon Jovi's my old reliable. Uh, I could just go back to them and feel better. But uh, yeah, don't make fun of me for that either. Yeah, right. don't don't make fun of me for that either, because I know a lot of people hate Bon Jovi. That's me uh, with like Pantera. Black Veil Brides. Nah. I love Black Veil Brides. Nah. Now, if this were a few years ago, I probably would be laughing at you. But, you know, I've been revisiting them. And personally, the music part of it, like the guitars and drums and everything, is actually pretty yeah. tight. Like, especially the older albums, like uh, We Stitch These Wounds and the other albums before uh, For Fallen Angels, even though that was a good one, too. But I feel like that uh, single from that yeah. kind of is kind of overshadows the other good work on that too. I'm just not a huge fan of Andy Black's uh, vocal style, but other than that, the yeah. actual music part I mean, of they, it, they the sort of shred. Part, is actually pretty the guitarists good. Guitarists do. Yeah. They, yeah, they, they kind of do. Yeah, if you listen yeah. to um, yeah, that's a good song. Uh, Perfect Weapon, I like Weapon, their new song that came out. That's a good example uh, right there. Back in November, 
It's called Scarlet Cross. They're doing another. Uh, they're doing another concept album. Oh. Right. I haven't really followed them since uh, 2013 or so. I mean, I've been more or less uh, with occasionally bands like The Who. Yeah. And I'm more or less uh, been on like a death metal or a black metal band. My brother's a big Hailstorm fan. I like Hailstorm a lot. Um, I like Hailstorm. Let's see. I like... Uh, And here's another band that gets a lot of hate, but I, I like I like some of their stuff. I like to listen to it when I'm feeling trashy. It is Nickelback. That, that's like my trashy. That's my trashy is beer stocking uh, music when I'm stocking beer at work. Okay, now listen to Nickelback. It makes me feel nice and trashy. <laughs> yeah. I will admit that you know they have some, they have a few songs that aren't really bad. Well, I mean, I, I just I just like the memes more or less, but they, they, there's they're not really my favorite. There there are bands out there, and I'm probably gonna catch some flack for this, whether it be ironic or unironic. But yeah. there are plenty of bands out there. Well, worse Nickelback, than Nickelback. It's not that they're not talented. Believe me, I've listened to them. They're, they're fairly talented dudes. It's just uh, they do something sort of. They sort of sometimes pander to the lowest. It's more or less because common denominator. Uh, I like Stone Sour, but I think they're pretty much common done at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I like it. I like that new solo single he came out with. I, I like just about title. anything Corey Taylor does. But he, he's doing a solo. Yeah, he's doing, and I and I do like some Slipknot. I may not have heard it, but I'm sure it's good. Uh. I love Slipknot. Like that's that's one of the few yeah. metal bands my brother listens to, and he listens like more Slipknot. to rap and everything. And, but uh, he loves Slipknot. Oh, we can talk about movies. So um, last night I watched Leprechaun because uh, it was St. Patrick's Day. You know, I, I was going to watch all eight of them. You know, Fitting. but yeah, I got them on like this box set thing. There's eight. Uh, Holy crap, I was gonna I watch all that. eight of them, but I was kind of brain dead after the first one. Oh, and I don't. Uh, I mean, I, I was talking. Yeah, to my brother, that'll happen. And, you know, he was kind of jealous because he was at work when I was going through this first movie, and he was like, "Oh yeah, I love that movie. That's a good movie." And I, I said, "Well, it's not a good movie. It's a very entertaining movie." <laughs> uh. Yeah, it, it, it's like it's 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 maybe not the best written, but it's yeah. it's good in the entertaining aspect to warrant it being, I guess, good in a way. It, it, I think it's dumb. I fun. mean, I was I was never the biggest fan it's of those movies. Like but I can a, see why people like like them. a Sleepwalkers. Do you remember that movie Sleepwalkers that came out in '92? <laughs> I got I got that thing on oh, a yeah. collector's edition Blu-ray because I just ah. think it is hilarious. And you know, I, I'm a big Stephen King fan. And we will always have to remember, because Stephen King wrote this movie, that the right. highest and most and one of the most respected authors in American literature yeah. today was once paid a lot of money to say cop kebab. 
when it when he stabbed the cop through the ear with the pencil. Just that movie is so batshit insane, and it's awful. It's like I watch a lot of uh, Chris Stuckman on YouTube, and he he reviews movies and stuff. And one of my favorite things to watch from him is like hilariosity, right? Where he just reviews so bad they're good movies, like uh, like oh yeah. I thought about doing that myself back uh, a few years back because well, uh, he just does like these well, so actually, bad good go movies like he did. Uh, say my piece after. He did the happening, which was that. I don't remember what movie that uh, what year that movie came out, but it was an M. Not Shyamalan movie, and it was just sort of it starred Mark Wahlberg, and it was just so ridiculous. Like it was, it was kind of built as like a. Uh, as like a serious thriller, but you don't really know if it's supposed to be a comedy or, or a serious thriller. Um, yeah. Right. Um, and Nicholas Cage's The Wicker Man, <laughs> he did that one. And The Room. And I, I think, oh, yeah. uh, I think one of the funniest reactions is from that movie. I think it's from the troll or troll where that guy's just like, Oh my God. I just think that. I have... Yeah. Yeah. I think Leprechaun that falls one. into that kind of category. I don't, I don't know if I have or not, but I think I have. Especially, yeah. Especially the later ones. Right. Uh, just, you know, like the in space, Leprechaun movie. four is called in space. And there's this scene where um, the leprechaun throws a, oh, yeah. a fucking pizza pan at this guy's face. And when the pizza pan falls away, his entire head has been flattened like a pizza. Like, it's just so stupid, but awesome. It's awesomely stupid. <laughs> yeah, uh, back when I was saying... Um... I think this would have been back in 2014. Uh, my brother and I, we were watching this one movie. It's it's one of those things where you know it's not going to be the best thing ever. Like, you know, it's not going to be too good. But, you know, at least from the title or and, and in another case, the uh, the cover art that I was able to find of it. There was this movie. I think it was one of those sci-fi originals or it was it was produced on that same kind of budget. It was called Dino Wolf. And basically, I had just recorded it just for the pure sake of it. And the cover looked like some Windows 98 CGI stuff. So I'm just like, okay, it might be, you know, some good, dumb fun. It, it was dumb fun, all right, but I don't think it was really that good. Because, I mean, it was good if you're one of those people that love to dissect movies. Um, but there were quite a few scenes where it's just, it's so ridiculous. It was, it was so hilarious. Um, okay. So from what I've described of it, you would think that the, uh, the, the werewolf creature would be like some sort of like windows 98 CGI mess, but that's not the case. It was legit. I swear on my aunt's grave. It was just some guy in a Halloween express werewolf costume and I know this because you can even see the safety pin that wasn't even connecting the, the head to the torso 
it was just a guy in a Halloween costume running around killing people and everything. And like where the werewolf would supposedly maul them, it looked like someone took like a bucket of Kool Aid and just splashed it around. And oh, and you could also at, at some if you pause it on the right it, frame, you can see the tag on the costume on the back. There was also was it one of those asylum there was also movies? A, uh, what was that? It may have been. I can't remember. I haven't seen it in a few years, but it you know it it, it could it wouldn't surprise me if the guys that made that ended up working for asylum. It would not surprise me at this point. At this point, nothing surprises me anymore. Well, except for a handful of things. But um, and just uh, back in 2017, we watched uh, a few other movies. Uh, there was this one. It was called Zombievers. It's it's kind of like a Sharknado thing, where basically there's just zombie beavers, and at one point, the zombie beavers somehow managed to. In fact, yeah, a bear, now I remember and even the bear beavers. started that growing buck teeth and a tail and everything. <laughs> that definitely was a size. <laughs> yeah, and um, there was another movie. This was like a, I get, I guess it was like a, a British um, dumb fun thriller movie. It's called Stitches. It's about this uh, clown or this guy that um, works birthday parties as a clown or something like that. He ends up dying. Uh, at this one party and through some ritual I guess like a bunch of teenagers were just messing around with like some kind of necronomicon sort of thing and they somehow resurrect him there were a, a lot a good bit of funny parts one of them I uploaded to Snapchat a few years back I, I mean I still have it on my stories or my archive it's where he's chasing after uh, one of the uh, protagonists I guess you know, and he has like this little tiny uh, tricycle where he's in there. He's trying to pedal it, and he even just like lets it ride and everything. And I looped that and put cruising down the street in my six four on it. And uh, the the best part of it, my brother and I, neither one of us were expecting it. It was arguably the the best part of the film. He uh, kills this uh, teenage girl says some kind of one-liner. I forgot what he said, but the best part, he does a pelvic thrust, an inflatable balloon comes out from the fly, and it even makes a sound effect. My brother and I were like, we we absolutely died laughing at that, and we, I, even, like, we even looped it. It was just right. that funny. Well, like, like I said earlier, I, on I, on about I, watch other films a, like that. I watch a lot of Chris Stuckman, or I used to watch a lot more than I do now. And so I, I always like to, you know, watch his movie reviews and stuff. And I even started dabbling in movie reviews, written movie reviews uh, back when I was in college. Except I didn't go to the theater all that much. So I'd go to Walmart when these movies right. released and I'd buy these DVDs. And I just got tired of buying really shitty movies. On the, I have the gallows on DVD. I'm never going to watch that piece of shit again. <laughs> Oh, it it was a it's a found footage. Would you care to elaborate? And they tried to make it sort of like found footage meet slasher genre. 
and uh, it, it was about this. Oh the big, yeah, the, the guy. Uh, his I, name I was could tell Charlie, where this was going. And he was working on a production of this play, and uh, something went wrong, and he ended yeah. up getting hanged. Uh, and it, at the end of the play, uh, it was supposed to be fake, but it wasn't, and so he died. And so now you got this uh, really obnoxious. Stifler-esque main character holding a damn video camera and they're getting ready to put on this show again and they go to the school at night for some reason. I don't like found footage films where there isn't a reason for a camera to be on. I don't know I don't know why jackass Stifler guy, Chad Stifler, I'm just gonna call him Chad Stifler. Right. Totally Chad. Sorry, Chad. Um, <laughs> and he was like just going around being a complete dick to everybody. <laughs> and apparently, Charlie Guy's ghost came back for revenge. And it, it was just stupid. And they even did a scene two years ago. And I, Oh, yeah, and wow. I, no, I, yeah, I was sort of jealous because I wanted to write a Usually sequel, the dumbest fucking things have a sequel to. I wanted to make it terrible. I wanted it to be like Sleepwalkers and just be so <laughs> fucking funny that you can't take it seriously because they, they were trying so hard to be serious. I'm not a, I'm not a big uh, found footage fan. Uh <laughs> There, there are actually a couple of um, a good found footage no, movies. It's one that I absolutely love. It's called Grave Encounters. I don't know if you've ever no. seen it, but I would definitely no, check that out. I haven't seen that one. It's I from have, a Dark now, Sky there is films. one that I like. I think it is. Um, or Dark Light. It's done remember. by Blumhouse. And Blumhouse, they release a lot of shit. That's where the gallows came from. But they sometimes uh, do good movies, especially recently. <laughs> oh, wow. They, they did Get Out, and they did Us recently. I think that was them. Uh, but anyway, um, it was a found footage film, and it was scary as hell. Hang on. I'm going to see if I can find it. It it was called uh, not The Gift. The Gift wasn't found footage. <laughs> um, the, oh, the, the Gift is a great movie. It's a very... It's a very neat thriller. I've in heard fact, of the, uh, the book I'm working on now, it's called Napkins. Uh, it's a crime thriller, and I'm trying to make it sort of like that. But um, no, it, uh, the movie I'm talking about is called The Creep. Uh, that's a good found footage film. It's about. Have you seen it? Uh. I think it's on Netflix. Uh they made a they made a creep too. No, but, but I, I think I've it. heard of it. I might check it out sometime. But it's about this guy who he he's dying. I think he's dying of some type of cancer, and it's terminal. And so he invite he invites this guy to his uh, secluded cabin to sort of film him and his life be, before his baby is born, because it's his wife is about to have a baby, but you, but you never see the wife. At least I don't remember seeing the wife. It's been a while since I've seen the movie, but um, right. it was really good. You know, it, it actually, there was actually a reason that the camera was on 
And this guy was just a very creepy, strange guy. Uh, sort of like, uh, uh, okay, so speaking of dumb movies, have you ever seen Tusk? Yeah, um, it's sort of like Human Centipede. No, but I think I've heard of it. But more ridiculous. Yeah, uh, it's about this oh, wait. this guy who hosts a podcast. Yeah, I think I've heard of it. And it's actually, uh, it was directed by Kevin Smith. Um. And there's a there's a second one called Yoga Hosers. Okay. And then there's going to be a third one called Moose Jaws, which I'm looking forward to that one because that sounds ridiculous. Yeah, um, but it does. And, and the way Kevin it Smith sounds like describes an urban dictionary it, it's like, well, thing. it's like Jaws but with a moose. Okay, I'm down. I'm down. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll watch this stupid shit. Uh, anyway. Tusk is so, so we gonna... really entertaining, and it knows it's stupid. It knows it's a stupid movie. It's self-aware, um, but it's about this guy played by Justin Long, um, who hosts this podcast, and he he hosts a podcast that just kind of like roasts people, and you know, people send in clips and stuff of them and he'll just roast them on the air and what happens oh, is wow. one kid ends up doing it and he kills himself uh so he goes off to canada oh, and shit. i don't remember his reason for going to canada but he goes up to canada and he sees an ad in the bathroom by the urinal of this guy and he... well he, uh, well, no, it said for a good time call <laughs> that he is an old man, an old war veteran who has a lifetime of stories and just wants somebody to sit and listen to his stories. And because this guy roasts people, he's like, okay, I'll go do that. Then okay. he'll roast him on my show. Uh, so he goes up there and he, he meets with this old man and, um, this old there's something wrong with this old man. Like he has a uh, he has the bone of a walrus penis on his mantle. Um, so he's a bit off. He's a bit off. Um, anyway, he starts telling the story. He gives, this, he gives Justin Long some tea and stuff, and he drinks it, and uh, Justin Long passes out. And I'm not I'm not spoiling any anything. But uh, when he wakes up, he wakes up and his legs are gone. They've been cut off above the knee. And the guy sort of explains what the reason reason for that. It has something to do with a walrus. He got he got caught. I tell you, it's sort of like human centipede. You can draw your own conclusions. Uh, and it's such a stupid movie, but it knows it's stupid. Like, like yeah, when he's calling for I help, he's like calling going. his uh, fiance or whatever, and he's like, "I don't want to die in Canada," and it's just hilarious. Yeah. Oh, I uh, I watched it with. <laughs> I uh, definitely gotta my, check that out. One of my friends in college, while he was um a bit stoned, and. 
and I was drinking really, really shitty honey apple cider that another friend gave me. Like that shit was so bad that I had to chase it with the whiskey. Oh yeah. Uh, but yeah, we started watching Tusk, and um, oh damn, I had to turn it off, freaking out. Uh, but it's not scary. <laughs> it, it's sort of like you know. Oh, there are there are some members of Zoe's family who are like scarred by the Leprechaun movies. They're like scarred by the Leprechaun movies, and I was, and I, I was talking to him, and I'm like, I think it's hilarious. Like when yeah, I mean, when he starts singing and jumping like that. on that guy, killing him with the pogo stick in that movie. Like I just think that's hilarious, and they look at me like I'm a madman. Yeah, it's funny, and it you know. Well, it's it's because it is funny. Tusk is the same way. I mean, it may not be their Except kind of funny, but it's a little more over the top than Leprechaun. Right. I mean, yeah, I'm definitely going to check that out at some point. Well, we sure had a blast watching it. I'm trying to get trying to get Zoe to watch it with me, but uh, she says no. It sounds stupid. And I'm like, that's the whole point. Of course. <laughs> and same thing yeah, with Moose that, Jaws. Whenever that comes yeah, out, I'm going to watch it. That. Does it sound stupid? Yes. Sounds like the most ridiculous thing ever, and I'm going to love every minute of it. That sounds like, you know, I actually unironically want to watch right. that because it sounds so ridiculous that it's, it's funny. And if, if I get a good laugh out of it, then it's <laughs> that's good enough. It was just like the whole uh, dissecting the dino wolf thing. I mean, the, I guess I guess there was some good to come out of it, even though the movie itself right. was trash. But at least there was some good to come out of it. Like I got to dissect it and got to laugh at it. <laughs> But see, that, the thing is, I don't even know if that movie was trying to be serious. If it is, then it's fucking, yeah. Yeah. then it, it failed epically. But if it's if it's intentionally stupid, then it did its job. Yeah, well, you know. I can only hope that it was intentionally stupid, because then it makes sense. Yeah. But, you know, some, some, of, the, some uh, of the funniest things are actually attempts at being yeah, serious. Yeah, I think, uh, I, I always kind of liked horror comedies, um, especially when they're done well. And even when they're done, even when they're done really, really badly, that can be entertaining, right? Uh, uh, but you know, Leprechaun was actually kind of at the it tail really end of that uh, little <clears throat> little critters subgenre in the horror comedy. You know, because you had Gremlins, then you had a movie called Critters and Ghoulie, and Troll was sort of a part of that as well. And Leprechaun sort of capped that off. Yeah, I like Gremlins. I, you know, that's my favorite Christmas right. movie. I remember because it is a yeah, Christmas Gremlins movie. Gremlins is pretty good. Yeah, I mean it's a Christmas movie. Uh, it is a Christmas movie, just like Die Hard is. Yeah, In fact, I, I technically got this it is. Book. Um, <clears throat> I got this book called Secret Santa. I'm gonna go grab it. 
I got this book called uh, Secret Santa, and it's supposed to be sort of like a play on that whole little critter genre. And it's about this uh, young woman who works for this uh, big, right, this publishing company, and what their um, her entire goal is to find the next Stephen King. And they do like this. Uh, Christmas party and everybody gets smashed or something. Okay. And they do like this secret Santa exchange of gifts and uh, inside are these little creatures. It doesn't really say what they are, but the tagline is the gift that keeps on giving. It's by Andrew Schaefer. It's by Andrew Schaefer. Andrew Schaefer does a lot of uh, kind of funny parodies. <laughs> like he's got a book series out called the Obama Biden Mysteries. And it's a it's a parody of Barack Obama and Joe Biden solving crimes, oh. kind of like Scooby Gang kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, he writes that kind of stuff. So I can't. I I imagine that it's going to be that. That actually funny. sounds pretty funny. I bought it mostly because of the cover, because it's a gorgeous cover. Cover sale. Right. They really do. I mean, that's, it's just like, you know, back back in the 80s when they started putting parental advisories on albums and shit, Kiss really capitalized on that because Gene Simmons was like, right. okay, well, if they see that, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be all taboo and they're going right. to want it, so they bought it. While other bands were against putting yeah. the label on it, Kiss capitalized well, on it. The first thing anybody sees is... So it's that kind of concept, I guess. Uh, and it has like that old... It's that retro 1980s, 1990s horror paperback book. That's what it. That's what it kind of looks like. It's vintage. It's retro, and uh, that sells too because there's a a sense of nostalgia there for a lot of people. Yeah. Well, it looks different now, yeah, especially nowadays, because that that would sell pretty well now. More modern horror covers. This one looks retro. It looks old, and it looks different now. But I I once watched a video that's on YouTube, and it was a guy talking about how much the covers of horror books have changed, and um, he was like showing all these different covers. Uh, of modern books and he's like can you tell which one of these books is a horror novel or a horror book and it it was kind of hard to tell they all looked the same but like back in the 80s you could tell what was a horror book what was a crime book what was a uh, a literary novel you could tell because of the cover but now it's harder to it's harder and harder to uh, tell the difference in a lot of ways, unless you know the name attached to it. Like if you know who Paul Tremblay is, then you know that that's going to be a, a literary right. horror novel. Or if you know who Stephen King is, which Stephen King doesn't really write horror anymore. Not, not in the traditional sense anyway. Uh 
But, you know, a Dean Koontz, you know, that's a thriller. Right. Because you know the title, you know the name attached to it. Koontz? Uh, yeah, I got Yeah, and he's, he's ruining some. Uh, I have an entire bookshelf upstairs <clears throat> dedicated to yeah. Koontz. Uh, I even have. I even have some really nice, rare Koontz books, and I'm not going to talk about what they are. But the, I, I was sort of uh, burnt out on Koontz. Uh, I, I I started reading his new Jane Hawk right. series, which was sort of it was it was sort of James Bondsy in a sense, uh, but not really. I mean, it was a it was they were thriller novels, suspense novels, uh, that featured an FBI, a former FBI agent on the run. Because the, the well, the first book's really good. Uh, it's called the uh, the Silent Corner, hmm. well, that's and um, it is about. So, so there are these people who are close to certain people up in the government, because it's a Dean Koontz book. It's got to have a government conspiracy, because pretty much all of his books have that. But they're, they're working up high in the government, or they know people. It's kind of like the Epstein thing, but before Epstein, before that whole thing blew up, this book came out. Uh, but it was sort of like the Epstein thing, and it was like there's like this chain, and you had right. really happy people in their personal lives, uh, just uh, up and commit suicide. Like they're doing very mundane things and they just up and start committing suicide. And uh, Jane Hawk is the main character. She's the FBI agent. Her husband is one of them. So he, you know, they're like eating dinner or something and they got a kid and stuff. And he's like, I'll be right back. I'm going to go to the bathroom. And he goes up there and he just blows his brains out. Uh, and so she starts uncovering that whole mystery. And the first book was really, really good. And I read the second book, and it was pretty good. And then I, I started the third book, which is called uh, The Crooked Staircase. I started that book twice, and I just I could not get into it. I don't know what it was. There was just something about it, and it sort of turned me off in Coons for a while. Um, Yeah, I need to actually. I have a few more of his books because I get right. his new books is, every it's, time. It's that point where you got burned out uh, on it. Every time he releases a new book, I it comes in the mail. I get it, uh, and I have some of them that I haven't read. A stack over here. I need to need to start reading that. Um. Yeah, I need to. I need to start getting back into Koontz. And I, I had this book that I was going to read over the holidays called um, Darkfall. It's called, it's called Darkfall. And it's sort of like a wintry book. And it's also like the Gremlins little thing of horror. It's got some voodoo in it, I think. I was going to read that over the holidays, but I never got around to it. But I need to right. I need to get into that. I've also started collecting Goosebumps books. Yeah. Yeah. I I started 
buying a lot of those. Uh, oh, yeah, those. Just cause I think the covers are pretty. Again, covers fail. <clears throat> yeah, it's just like how uh, just recently uh, my family and I, we started collecting National Geographic uh, magazines. Uh, the oldest issue I think we have, it's actually a hard copy, like a hardback. It's a like a hardback book that has um, a, it contains uh, a lot of the issues ah. from the year uh, 1915. So that's as far that's as old wow. as we got as far as the National Geographic's. Yeah, we actually have we actually have like a, a whole plastic tub oh, oh, full of National Geographic's neat. right now. We might I need another one because we, we got, uh, got some more in the car. In so. the last couple of years, I started collecting the hard case crime books, which um, I love that publishing company. They they publish these. All their books are paperback. Right. They're all paperback original. But they got these really old school, like 1950s and 60s style hard boiled <laughs> covers on them. And they, they re-release some of those old books. Like, they've re-released a lot of books by uh, Donald E. Westlake, um, who wrote as Richard Stark, uh, also. But they're not releasing any of the Richard Stark books. They're just doing Westlake. And they've released a couple Stephen King books. The problem is Stephen King's books don't really fit in to what they're doing. That's like I just... I just read the new one a couple weeks ago. It's called Later, and that's not that's not a hard boiled detective novel. That is, there is an element of crime in it, uh, but it's basically about a kid that can see dead people, and it's, it's not really all. It's not really. It's sort of like The Sixth Sense, right? Uh, but. But it's also different because, um, for one thing, in that book, the dead okay. can, uh, they can never, if you ask them a direct question, they can't lie to you. And, uh, and that's how he's sort of roped into trying to solve crimes with this lady. But, um, but, there, there's a whole nother element to that book, which I also won't spoil. Okay. Uh, but I will say this, and I, I don't want to overstate it because I feel like every time Stephen King comes out with a new book, especially since the movies came out recently, uh, they, they compare it to it. Like when the, I, when the outsider came out in 2018, they're like, Oh, it's like it. Well, no, it's not at all. Like it. When the Institute came out, they're like, right. Oh, it's like it. No, it's not like it. Um, Yeah, they compare just about everything he releases to it. And they did the same thing with later. Everyone likes to compare it to it, so. Well, with later. Even though it's a completely different kind of uh, story. A sequel to it. That is all I'm going to say. I'm not going to say. Uh... Well, I'll say one more thing. There, There right. is. There's a serial killer in the book, and it happens fairly early on in the book. So I'm not spoiling much. They call him Thumper, and um, he ends up committing suicide. 
And he sort of haunts Jamie because the main character's name is Jamie. Um, usually what happens is after somebody dies, they only stay around three or four days. Then they sort of cross over. Right. But this guy, he's not crossing over. And that's all I want to say about that. So we can move on from that. But it's really good book. Right. Well, we've been it. It sounds like a pretty interesting book, but yeah, like uh, we've been recording sure. for about two and a half hours now. So if you want to just like if you want to just end it here, we definitely can. I mean, we've covered quite a bit of stuff. All right. Well, it's been a pleasure to having you on uh, my first episode of this podcast. Yeah, thanks, uh, guys. Be open to doing it again. I want to say to all the listeners, thank you for tuning.